Now, with that, let's go ahead and jump into the message today. I do come with a sense of reverence uh, in my heart and a heaviness for this message. This is a message that uh, I believe God has laid on my heart for today specifically. Uh, It is our last message of 2019, which means that Charity and I have been with you just a little over six months, and it has been a lot of fun to be with you over the last six months. I love you guys so much, and and I just believe that God's been doing some amazing things already in our church and in our community. Uh, He has done things I couldn't imagine would have happened already uh, in six months, and I think he wants to continue to make things happen. Uh, We've seen people saved and lives changed. We've seen just the amazing work that God's doing in our kids' ministry and our youth and just every aspect of the the church, And, and 2019 has been amazing, but I truly think that 2020 is going to be just an absolute incredible year. And so going into that, I want to preach a message, just kind of prime the pump, if you will, for 2020. Um, to do that. Now, before we jump into the scripture, I need to just teach you a little bit about uh, how it's proper to interpret the Bible. Um, We need to understand that the Bible always needs to be read in context. And and what that means is you need to look at the scripture, you need to read the scripture and try to understand what the context was for the original audience. When you read it, you need to understand who God is speaking to and why he's speaking to them, because that helps you to understand the point that God is really trying to come across with. You cannot just pick and choose any scripture you want, read it and say that this applies to every single situation, because that would be taking scripture out of context. You need to know the context of the passage of who God's speaking to. This is very important to remember when you go to the Old Testament, in particular, the prophets, right? The, the, the second half of the Old Testament is filled with uh, different uh, prophecies, if you will, where God was speaking through an individual to a specific person or a nation for a specific moment and a message. And you need to understand that. A great example of that is Jeremiah 29, 11, right? Which says, for I know the plans and the purposes I have before you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you, not to harm you, give you hope in the future. It sounds great. And a lot of times we take that verse and say, this is for my life. But when you understand the context of that verse, God is speaking to the nation of Israel when they're in captivity. And he's saying, you need to just plant roots right where you're at. You need to make sure the city prospers, pray for them. Um, And someday I'll pull you out of there. The, the, The challenge is when we take scripture and we take it out of context, we're starting to get onto shaky ground. And we don't want to do that. We want to make sure that we're taking God and his word in context. And it's easy to know the context because God often tells us who it is that he's speaking to. And so when we take verses out of context, we're doing an injustice to the word of God. However, Paul also makes it clear in scripture that uh, 1 Corinthians chapter number 10, you can go read about it, that the Old Testament is a pattern and an example for our lives, meaning we can take the principles out of that word and we can apply it to our life. And the reason why I felt like it's important to share that with you is because this morning we're going to read a passage of scripture out of Ezekiel that uh, has had a lot of freedom uh, taken upon it in the past and perhaps even embellished a bit. And so I don't want to, to embellish on the word of God. I don't want to say that God said this specific word is for us. Rather, what I'm wanting to do is take this patch, passage of scripture and say, this is what I believe God's calling us to do as an example for the coming year. So with that, if you would, please stand with me and turn in your Bibles, if you brought your Bible, uh, to Ezekiel chapter number 37. Ezekiel 37, a very interesting passage of scripture. And it says this, Ezekiel 37, starting verse number one, it says, the hand of the Lord was upon me 
And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of dry bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley. And behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones, behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live and I will lay sinews upon you and will cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and to put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I prophesied as I was commanded. And as I prophesied, there was a sound, and behold, a rattling, and the bones came together, bone to bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews upon them, and flesh came upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe into these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, and our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy and say to them, Thus says the Lord God, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you from your graves O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel, and you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken, I will do it, declares the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, and Lord, we thank you for what you want to speak to us today. And Lord, we thank you for the example and the pattern that you've given us out of Scripture. And Lord, I pray today that this story would come alive to us, and Lord, that it would be a pattern that we would follow in the year 2020. God, we believe that you have come to bring hope to our community, that you've come to bring hope to our people. And I pray today, Lord, that you would just allow us the opportunity, God, just to expand your kingdom by giving your word. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated this morning. The title of my message is, There is Hope in the Valley. This is without a doubt one of the strangest, perhaps wildest prophecies given in Scripture. The man we're reading about is Ezekiel, who is a prophet of God, who is living in captivity in a very small, obscure town outside of his homeland. And most likely when Ezekiel is called into ministry, he's around 13 years of age. And yet at this point that we read about, he's been prophesying to the Lord for 22 years. Now, Ezekiel's ministry was surrounded by some very interesting instructions from the Lord. For example, one time Ezekiel was commanded to lay on his side for 430 days and during that time to cook food over cow dung. Yeah, think about that for a minute. And you're upset that God calls you to go across the street and help your neighbor, right? It could be a lot worse. I always use this example for young people who want to go into ministry saying, sometimes it's not really glamorous. The Lord might call you to lay on your sign for a year and a half and eat your food cooked over cow dung, which is a really interesting story. You should really go read it because God originally told him to cook it over human feces, Exactly. And, and Ezekiel's like, Lord, I've never defiled myself in that way. Can we use cow dung instead? And God's like, okay, go ahead. 
right? Here's the point, is that God was trying to show the people, look, this is the depravity that you're in. This is the state of sin that you're in. It's not pretty. It's not good. And so Ezekiel spent basically his entire life prophesying to his people, prophesying to his homeland, trying to get them to hear the word of God, and they don't. And now here we are, 22 years later, he's been the mouthpiece warning people to repent of their sins, and now there's a shift. God is showing that hope is coming. When we get to chapter 37, God is showing that hope is coming to the people of Israel. Ezekiel has this vision, and the Bible says that the Lord brought him in spirit to a place where he's in the middle of this valley, and this valley was full of dry bones. And this valley represented the spiritual condition of the nation of Israel. It was bleak. It looked homeless. It reeked of death and destruction. And it showed what sin ultimately does to the life of a human being. And the Lord asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? And in a lot of ways, this valley of dry bones is kind of representative of our culture. I think if you took a spiritual snapshot of our culture today, what you would see is not something that's living and breathing, but you'd see something that is dead. Because when you look into our culture, it reeks of death. It reeks of, of evil. Last year, 41 million babies were aborted around the world. It was the number one cause of death. There was anger and there was violence. There was outrage by so many different people in our country. There's a poverty mindset that has set in, and so many people have a feeling of homelessness. Sexual perversion and human trafficking and victimization seems to be at every turn in our day and age, and the opioid epidemic is absolutely killing and stealing the lives of so many people, and it doesn't seem to have an end in sight. And so when we see Ezekiel's description of his nation, and it was a, a valley full of dry bones, he's talking about Israel, but I think it's safe to say that you could take a, a spiritual snapshot of our world, of our country, and perhaps even our county, and you would see the same thing. And in a lot of ways, it looks like there's hopelessness that has swamped all around us. We, we see the, the violence and the depravity, and we feel like nothing's ever going to change. But here's the important thing to catch about this passage. The point of the vision that Ezekiel had was not to bring despair. The point of the vision was to bring hope. The point of the vision was to see that God was bringing hope. You see, Ezekiel was not supposed to preach gloom and doom. He wasn't supposed to preach despair. He was supposed to be a messenger of hope to his nation. See, even though the nation was in ruins and the spiritual condition was dry bones, God had a plan and hope was coming. The breath of God was coming and it was going to make these bones live. And church, our responsibility to our families, to our community, to our county is always to be a messenger of hope. We are to proclaim hope. We're supposed to point people to hope, and that is ultimately Jesus Christ. And here's the big idea of this message. In 2020, J First Assembly has to be a messenger of hope to Delaware County. We cannot change the entire world. We can't fix things outside of our control. God has planted us here. We need to grow where we are planted. We need to be the messengers of hope, and we need to start in our home. As we're heading into the new year, as we're heading into 2020, Obviously, there's a lot of need that surrounds us, but the power of God, the breath of God, the Holy Spirit is still able to bring life to our nation, to our county, and to our family. In the last six months, God's shown us what he's able to do. 
In the last six months, God has shown us that he can do things when we simply give him an opportunity. And I think that he's trying to show us that he wants to do more in the coming year. He's just simply looking for a people who are willing to walk with him, willing to be his mouthpiece, willing to give the message of hope. And today, I'm going to walk you through this passage. and I want to point out some truth that I believe God wants us to be aware of going into 2020. And here's what I want you to know this morning. We have to realize that we're in a valley, but we have to also see the hope. Verses one through three says this, the hand of the Lord was upon me and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them. And behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley and behold, they were very dry. You know, Ezekiel, when he was walking around the valley, he took notice of the dry bones around him. Don't let us not be so consumed with our own life, so consumed with how we're living life that we don't even see the need around us. Then he asked me, son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, oh Lord God, you know. The Bible tells us that Ezekiel has this vision and the, and the, and the, the bones are there and they're very dry and they're, they're everywhere as far as he can see. It, it almost paints this picture that they're piled up and God asked Ezekiel, can these bones live? Now, this raises a very interesting question. Why did God ask Ezekiel if these bones could live? God knew exactly what he was going to do. I don't know why God asked this question to Ezekiel, but we can speculate that that God wasn't asking Ezekiel for his input. God knew exactly what he was going to do. So God was asking the question for Ezekiel's benefit. God was trying to get Ezekiel to not focus on the bones, but to focus on the giver of life. And that's exactly what Ezekiel does because his response is so profound. He said, oh, Lord God, you know. And I love that response so much because in this moment, in the face of death, Ezekiel didn't jump to conclusions. He just gave God an opportunity to perform a miracle. And it's such a good lesson for you and for me. Because only God knows if the dry bones that we walk around every single day can live. Only God has the power to know how people will respond to the gospel message. Only God knows if someone's marriage can be healed. Only God knows what physical healings he wants to do. Only God knows who has a call of ministry and who doesn't. Only God knows those things. We have the mental capacity to understand the truth, but a lot of times we feel like we know the outcome for someone else. So many times we see a dry bone and we say, this bone is so dry, it's so dead, there's no hope. Sometimes we think we know the outcome. For example, a lot of us, and I know I've been guilty of saying things like this, but I say, look, I know my brother, he is never going to step foot in church. Look, I know my coworker. If I tell him about Jesus, they're not going to listen. Listen, I know that neighbor. He is deadbeat for years, and he's never going to change. We see the bones, and we're really good at seeing the death surrounding us, but we forget that God's voice and God's breath is more powerful than any dry bone that we will ever see. And last time I checked, we did not have the gift of omnipotence. We do not know what will happen tomorrow. We do not know how someone will respond to the to the gospel message. We do not know what will happen when a prayer of faith is given for someone who needs a healing. We don't know how biblical advice to the right person could save a marriage. Only God knows that. Ezekiel was called to prophesy life 
to the dry bones. And what I'm concerned about is that the church in America has lost its ability to prophesy life, and instead we've just gotten very good at diagnosing death. I'm afraid that many Christians are better at performing autopsies on dead bodies than we are speaking life that the great physician has given us. We have the word of God, and we have to give it to people. We have the hope of God inside of us, and we need to share that hope with others. Here's what I want you to see out of this, that hope is from God. Notice what God says in this passage. He says, I will, I will. Now, we need to understand something about God. When God says, I will, it's a decree from him on what is going to happen. The finality of God's word is so reassuring because when God speaks, things happen. Before time began, the universe was empty, it was formless, it was void, and God's voice boomed and said, let there be light. And what happened? There was light. It happened. Why? Because God decreed it by his fiat, by the power of his voice. He decreed something to happen, and it has to happen. It's not a possibility. It's a decree. It's going to happen. It's kind of like when you look at your kids and you say, you will clean your room. Only maybe a little more effective, right? It's definitely like when your wife says, take out the trash. Next thing you know, you're putting on slippers and you're taking out the trash, right? It's going to happen. Have you ever thought about how God's voice worked, though, in that darkness? Like, his voice, like, how did that work? I mean, his voice spoke and the light appeared after his voice, which meant that his voice literally moved faster than the speed of light. Like, it's, it's mind-boggling. God's word defies the law of physics. God's word defies what we can see and what we can understand. And this is not just a one-time occurrence. Every time God speaks, something happens. In our Christmas series, I told you about an account where Jesus is on the boat with his 12 disciples. I hope you remember that story. It's so powerful, right? They're on this boat. It's in the middle of the night. The storm comes up. Wind and waves are crashing over the boat. The boat's about to sink, and Jesus is asleep on the pillow. And they wake him up, and they say, Lord, you got to do something. And Jesus speaks to the wind and the waves, and they obey. Why? Because the wind and the waves recognize the voice of their master, and when the master speaks, they obey. When God speaks, things happen. So when God is speaking to Ezekiel, Ezekiel honestly doesn't know if the bones can live or not. But what he does know is that God has the answer. And so he says, God, you know. And God says, I'm going to bring life to him. Here's what you need to know this morning is that we know God's will is for all men to be saved. We know that God said in the last days he's going to pour out his spirit. And we know that God said the harvest is ready. The problem is not that there are people who need saved. The problem is not that God has provided a solution. The the missing gap, the missing link is someone to be the mouthpiece, someone to be the messenger, someone to bring the message of hope. And that's what God was showing Ezekiel. He said, I need you to be the one to go and prophesy. We need to stop looking at the valley of our bones, and we need to look at the one who's the source of our hope, and we need to start trusting him to bring life to our homes, to our workplaces, and to our neighbors. Even since I've been here, we've seen the hand of God bring hope to dead situations, situations I looked at and said, there's no way that God can make these bones live. Even this last week, God did something really cool, and I can't tell you about it right now, but someday I will, of how God brought this, you know, you just want to know the story, right? God did this really amazing thing in a situation that I thought was hopeless. 
And God asked me to do the most obscure thing, and I did it, and I thought, there's no way this is going to turn out good, and it turned out amazing. Now you need to come to church every night, every time, for the rest of eternity, until I tell, someday I'll tell you a story, I just can't tell you right now. Here's the point, is that God's wanting to do something, we just got to plug into what he's wanting to do. And I just believe there's some people here that want to be those people. When I look at this church, what I don't look at it is I do not see a bunch of people who just are, are comfortable coming and sitting in the chairs. I don't see that. I see people who are hungry to do what God's called them to do. That's why you bring your friends. That's why you bring your family. It's amazing how many guests we've had. Church, I promise if we just keep doing those things, if we just keep being obedient, we just keep doing what we've already been doing, then before long, before long, we're going to have to figure out something for seats because we're going to run out of them. We ran out of them last Sunday. That was crazy. That was good stuff. If you weren't here last Sunday, you should have been here. Christmas communion. Next year, make sure you're here because it's a really good time. If you didn't think so, ask somebody who was here. It was really good. So, we have to decide. Do we see dry bones or do we see hope of life? Since we know that there's hope for our county, here's what I want you to do. I want you to proclaim the gospel message, and I want you to prophesy the word of God to everybody that you run into. God told Ezekiel to prophesy over the bones and tell them to hear the word of the Lord. And here's what we need to understand. It's the hearing of the word of the Lord that's going to cause things to happen. We need to connect these two points that we just made. When God speaks, something happens. But what I have come to understand is, and I'm guilty of this too, is a lot of times I just don't trust his word enough to make something happen in the life of someone else. I feel like I have to do something. I have to add to it. But I can't make anything happen with my feeble abilities. It's simply the Word of God that changes people's life. And that's why we say we value the Word of God here. That's why we stand when we read it, because there's hope inside of these pages. Here's what Hebrews 4.12 says of it. For the Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing into the division of the soul and the spirit, the joints and the marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. We can't do those things, but God's Word can Isaiah 55, 11, God's speaking of his word and the power of his word. He says, so my word uh, be that goes out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing into which I have sent it. In our context this morning, we prophesy by speaking the word of God to someone. Now, what does that mean? We've got to break that down. What does it mean to prophesy? Prophesy sounds like a very spiritual word, and, and in some contexts it is. But when you break it down and boil it down in its purest form, prophecy really means to give a message directly from God under the leading of the Holy Spirit. In the truest sense of the word, the Old Testament prophet we're reading about, Ezekiel, he is literally speaking on behalf of God. Now, we have to understand in our context today that we are holding the word of God. We understand that there's a spiritual gift of prophecy, and we don't have time to jump into all that. This morning, there are times when God lays a specific word on the heart of someone for, for another person, and, 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 and that does happen uh, from time to time. And it's a gift of the Spirit that you can read about in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12. For our purpose this morning, what I want you to understand is that you have the Word of God. A lot of us, we know the joke, man, I just feel like God isn't speaking to me lately. Well, all you got to do is start opening it up and start reading you want to hear the Word of God, just read your Bible out loud, and now you've heard it. This is the Word of God. This is what God wants us to know, and this is the thing that we are to give to other people that will make a difference. Now, what is the Word that we're supposed to speak to them out of this? And that is the gospel message. People have to understand who Jesus is and who He can be to them and how that applies to their life. 
I reference and I speak of the gospel message so often because when I read the scripture, when I read the Bible, when I read the New Testament, what I see is that the believers in the early church were constantly telling everyone that they came in contact with the gospel message. And in fact, Paul talked about it so much that he needed to reinforce it in Romans 1.16. He says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes, first for the Jew and also to the Greek. The gospel message is that all of us have sinned, all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, and it was because of our sin that we were separated from God. We were without hope. We were dead in our transgression and our sin, and justice demanded punishment for our sin. And God decreed in the beginning, before man sinned, that when we were to sin, that we would die, both physically and spiritually. That is the bad news. Gospel means good news. And the good news is that Jesus came and he took the place of our sin. He became sin for us on the cross he died for our sin. He, he met the requirements of death. We are justified through faith in Jesus Christ, and we have the hope of heaven. That is the gospel message. That is something that all of us should be intimately familiar with, that we should understand deeply in our own lives, because that is our hope for heaven, but it's also the hope for your friend. That's also the hope for your neighbor. And that is the hope of the world that Jesus told us to go and give to people. That is the word that we are to prophesy. That is the word we are to proclaim because this gospel message gives spiritual life. Nothing else matters in a person's life until they encounter this message and they believe this message. And I can say that very confidently this morning because Jesus told us to give people that message. Mark 16, 15 Speaking of Jesus, he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel message to the whole creation. The greatest hindrance of people being saved is not their sin or their perception of Jesus. It's the unwillingness of believers to give them the word of life. In my experience, when we give people the word of life, they will indeed, a lot of times, believe the word of life and surrender to the word of life. The Bible says the power of life and death is in the tongue, and we speak so much death by speaking negativity, and it's time to prophesy the word of God, the gospel message, and watch life rush into every person that we come in contact with. Make no mistake about it. We need the gospel message. Your family member that's addicted to drug needs the gospel message. They need to know that there's hope and there's peace inside of Jesus. The coworker whose marriage is falling apart needs the gospel message more than they need a marriage book. They need to see that Jesus' love and sacrifice to them is the example of love and forgiveness and sacrifice to their spouse. The friend struggling with depression needs the gospel message more than they need a therapist, more than they need help. Those things are good. Those things are beneficial. God has blessed people to help like that. God has given doctors a lot of wisdom. But at the end of the day, what we need first and foremost, it's only going to be effective when it's rooted inside the gospel message because people who are struggling with depression are in bondage to fear and in the gospel message. The Bible says that his perfect love drives out all fear. We don't have to be worried and pain and death. See, so many times we're going to the symptoms. We're cutting the grass instead of going to the root. Do people need help in addiction? Do they need rehab? Of course. Do people in marital struggle need some counseling and some guidance? Of course. Do people with depression need good doctors and therapists and medication? Of course. Please don't. Under Those things are vitally important. But until the heart's been fixed, until the heart's been fixed, we're walking to a weed and we're cutting it down just to watch it grow up again. 
And those weeds are implanting people's lives and it's destroying their lives. And we need to trust the word of God. And we just need to give them an opportunity to hear the word of God. I learned that lesson years ago. Just give God an opportunity and let him take care of the rest. When I was in Woodward, I, I worked for one year. It was the worst year of my life. I worked for one year as a dispatcher in a 911 center. It was absolute torture. I like to walk around. I like to be active. And so getting to sit at a desk for eight hours a day, talking on the phone was absolute nightmare. I hated every minute of it. And I worked three midnights and two days. So I didn't know what day of the week it was. I didn't know what time it was. I was cynical. And it was just terrible, right? But during that time, I met someone. He was a firefighter, and I worked with his wife. She was also a dispatcher. And, and uh, so anyways, they were married, and, and I moved to Vertigris, and we started youth pastoring in Vertigris and, you know, lost contact with most people back home. And, and anyways, several years later, I looked and I saw that he was at the cancer treatment center in, in Tulsa and, and that he was not doing well at all. And I didn't know him very good. I just at a distance, but I, was, I, I, I didn't think that they went to church. I didn't think they knew the Lord or anything like that. And so I saw that he was there and that things weren't doing well. And so I, I thought, well, I better go see them. And so I asked to go see them, and I went and saw him. And this, this man who was, who was young, he was a big guy, just strong, athletic. He, he looked like he was on the verge of death when I saw him. He had lost all of his body weight, skin and bones. The cancer just riddled his body. And so I, I visited with him that day, and, and I went back, and, and then I saw that he took just a nosedive from there that week, and, and he, they had went home, and they had come back, and I told my pastor, I said, man, I feel like I need to go tell him about Jesus, but I said, I don't know him that well, I don't think they go to church, and I'm going to walk in there and just start preaching at him, and, and I just don't know if this is going to go well, and so my pastor said, look, you just got to give God an opportunity because he's about to stand before Jesus, so you can't worry about that stuff. And so you just got to give him an opportunity. And so anyways, I went up there and I started talking to him. And at this point, he couldn't even speak. And, and I basically just said, look, hey, I'm, I'm a pastor and you know, you're a fireman. So when you see a fire, you see a fire and you, you go fight it. Um, when I see people that need to know about Jesus, you know, I, I have to tell them. And so I just started telling him that Jesus could be there. And, and this man, his eyes, he started crying. And, and I said, do you want to say a sinner's prayer? And he shook his head. He couldn't even speak. And I said, look, I know you can't talk, but just repeat this prayer in your heart. And right there, almost in a hallway, I prayed with him and led him to Jesus in that moment. And to be honest with you, I, I was not surprised that he responded. But for someone who really didn't know me that well, how receptive he was. And here's what I learned in that moment very young in ministry, is that you just got to give God an opportunity because you never know when God wants to do something. And so many times we feel like we know the outcome. But when we are obedient to God, we give the word and we just give God an opportunity. It's amazing what God will do. We have to trust God. We have to trust God. Here's what I want you to know. As Ezekiel started speaking to the bones and there started to be this rattling, Things started happening. Bones connected to bones and joints connected to the joint and tendon to tendon and the flesh covered it. God was doing something. Things were happening. And if we are personally obedient to the Lord in 2020 and speak life, I think that God's going to do something through here. I think souls are going to be saved. Lives are going to be changed. Men are going to start leading their family. Depression is going to be driven out. Addiction is going to be broken. Marriage is saved. People healed. We're going to see all these amazing things happen. We're going to see that the M the impossible take place. But here's what we can't do. We can't leave people on their own. 
See, the bone came to bone, flesh came to flesh, things happened. These bones started rattling, there was this big noise, they came together, but the body was still lifeless. And so he prophesied the first time, everything came together, and God said, now prophesy to the breath, that breath will fill them. And here's what I think it means for our context. Our context is this, we can't just tell people about Jesus, lead them in a center prayer, and then say, good luck. Jesus said, make disciples. And what that means is it's a process. And just as life came to these bones through process, so too life is going to come in a process in the life of so many people that you're going to come in contact with. And let me tell you something. Making disciples is a lot of work. It takes a lot of time, and it can be very frustrating. You'll come, and you'll have somebody, and you'll tell them the truth, and then they'll go, and they'll use half the truth that you gave them, apply it to their life. Their life is halfway better, and then they'll come back to you. Then you'll have to give them the other half of the truth, and they'll apply a quarter of that, and it's just back and forth. Why? Because making disciples takes time. Here's the danger. If you lead somebody to Jesus, and then you say, good luck, it's like taking a kid who just turned 16, throwing them the keys, saying, you'll figure it out, good luck. And a lot of you, that's how you learned how to drive. And you're like, well, that's how I learned to drive. Yeah, and you wrecked a lot in the process, right? You could have been seriously hurt. And we can't hurt people spiritually by giving them the word and all these things and say, ah, you'll figure out the rest of it. We got to be willing to take people underneath our arms, walking them through the discipleship process, allowing them to grow, allowing them to fall down, helping them to pick back up, and going through the process with them if we want to see that hope come in this valley. I want to close with this as the worship team comes back. I want you to proclaim the gospel message and make disciples. And here's why I want you to proclaim the gospel message. Here's what verses 11 through 14 says. And then he said to me, son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say our bones are dried up and our hope is lost and we are indeed cut off. Therefore prophesy to them saying, Lord God, behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people. And I will bring you into the land of Israel. And you shall know that I am the Lord. And when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will put my spirit within you, and you shall live, and I will place you in your own land, then you shall know that I am the Lord. I have spoken. I will do it, declares the Lord. God told Ezekiel to prophesy because he knew that revival was coming to the nation of Israel. And that's a word that gets thrown around a lot in church, revival, revival. Well, what does that mean? What does that mean? Let's pretend you're on an operating table and your heart stops beating. What happens? You're dead. So the doctors and the nurses, they're going to rush and they're going to try to shock your heart back into rhythm. They're going to try to get you going again. They're going to try to revive you back to life. And so if you were to ask me, what does revival mean? Revival means watching people going from death to life. And that's what God's called us to do, is to help people go from death to life. You know, we sang songs about the greatness of God a moment ago. And it's true. Why? Because we've experienced going from death to life. Do you remember what it was like before Jesus in your life? Lest we forget where God brought us from. Lest we forget someone took an opportunity for us. Lest we forget that Jesus, at one point, we were dead, dry bones, and Jesus spoke life into us, and now we are alive. 
And all God is saying is, I want you to go do that for every person that you come in contact with. Will you please stand with me this morning?